First of at least two episodes of the Meltzer Five Star Project, the show within the show of Let Me Tell You Something, in which, in which myself, you Let Me Tell You Something co-host Lorcan Mullen, and then your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host Simon Cross, discuss every match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. It's a double dose of that for the next couple of weeks, as another AEW pay-per-view has come and gone, and yet again... Dave Meltzer's been dishing out the stars. There was a four and three quarter star match in the in the lineup as well. Oh, garbage! Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> Say it with us, audience. Might as well have gouged our eyes out. Now we're getting close to that in this coming <laughs> upcoming match. Simon, what is the first of the AEW Revolution matches that we'll be covering for this five star project? We are covering a Texas Death Match. Between Hagman Adam Page and John Moxley. You know when you have those moments where you're kind of stunned by your own stupidity? I mean, you must have them all the time, Simon. Do you know what? I was about to steer into the skid, and I literally, <laughs> I took a, a, a half breath in, and you had filled that slot already. That was your first mistake. This is like going against 08 Barcelona. This is bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may not consider me 08 Barcelona. After this one, because I I made a note to my maybe maybe the people who have been in charge of Barcelona's finances since '08, but not the tactical now of Barcelona. The last note I wrote was: Is this a death match? By which I meant the modern indie wrestling popular Nick Gage stuff. Mm. And then I looked. The match is literally a Texas death match. So yeah, it's a death match. Yeah. But it's a curious thing as to how mainstream deathmatch wrestling is becoming, how aware of it is. We just talked before the recording. I really want us to do a, a silver screen visions about something that's not even about wrestling. I want us to talk about succession mm. because there's so many easy parallels with the McMahon storyline. And they even, in the trailer to season four, which is going to be the final season, uh, one of the Roy kids... Kendall says something about someone being a death wrestler, which I assume was meant to be death match wrestler. Yeah. But maybe the writer didn't know what it meant. And so they put it as death wrestler. Now, Kieran Culkin is a huge wrestling fan. Mm. So I wonder if he might have persuaded them to put that line in and they didn't quite get what it was. But I also think maybe another thing we need to do for Silver Screen Visions this year is the wrestler. And the wrestler did also bring to an audience that don't know that much about wrestling awareness of deathmatch wrestling with the match that Randy the Ram has with Necro Butcher. Yep. Necro Butcher even getting a shout out to that year's Oscars by James Franco by name. (laughs) There is an Oscars telecast where someone says the words Necro Butcher. (laughs) He's loving it. The weirdly intelligent creep not creep's the wrong word drunken monkey style master i guess you can listen to our episode of the samoa joe necro butcher match for more detail on that but i mean deathmatch wrestling has had some interactions with mainstream wrestling at least since the days of mick foley 
and them referencing the King of the Death matches as being the way that they sort of defined what the Cactus Jack persona was for McFoley, and even showing footage of it. Like, that's how crazy it was, how rare it was for WWE to show any footage of wrestling outside of WWE, but in their montages of Cactus Jack, they would show him in those death matches with Terry Funk lifting the King of the Deathmatch trophy and everything. Yeah. That was probably the first time that we got it. Then, I suppose, it was more like the thumbtack spot became mainstream. Mm. It was almost like every Abyss pay-per-view match from about 2000. Well, the most iconic moment with the thumbtacks is with Mick Foley, the backlash match. Yeah, but that was also one of the first instances as well of a mainstream wrestler taking a deathmatch bump. Like, it was always Mick Foley that took the worst of it. I guess... Triple H got some barbed wire in the face, but even if you look back at that in hindsight, he doesn't take the real barbed wire. He takes the the phony barbed wire. The snipped barbed wire. Yeah. It's funny, though, when you... Re- it's so f- funny how you don't notice these things until it's brought to your attention, but the way that they did it was the first time they established the the barbed wire was Triple H hitting Mick Foley with it a couple of times in his shirt getting caught in the barbed wire and everything. And then... The referee takes it away and gives it to the Spanish announcers. And then Mick Foley comes back and threatens to get it. And then you see this perfectly coiled... (laughs) (laughs) You know, you just didn't notice... I didn't notice it the first time. But I suppose that was the first instance of it. But I think now it's so commonplace. And it is especially in AEW. But so much of it now is as well wrestlers from outside of that deathmatch world entering into it obviously you had matt cardona yeah gcw with his feud with nick gage before then to be fair i think one of the first instances in czw they had drew gulak mm. get involved in at least one of them so it's not it's not a new storyline but it was john moxley i suppose that was the one who had Obviously, we did a match of the week where we talked about that old John Moxley, that he was that deathmatch wrestler, but then... In that cavernous armory. <laughs> yes, but then through his size... But he also in- engaged in, like, CZW King of the Deathmatch tournaments and all that good stuff. And then he goes to WWE and, you know, he has some weapons brawls and everything, but... Hit the famous Ambrose Asylum match. Yeah, but obviously always with that, there was an angle of it being comical. They always never quite took him seriously. And then when he moved into AEW, he was given a certain amount of indulgence that he was wary of signing with a national promotion straight after WWE. Essentially, what he wanted to really do was the GCW shows. And he wanted to... Boy, did he want to bleed. (laughs) And that has become a recurring motif. One that um, Excalibur shouts out in commentary during this match, that a stiff breeze would cause John Moxley to bleed. Well, to be fair to him, once you've bled once and the scar tissue's there, if it doesn't have enough time to heal over, it does make it more likely for it to be... That is literally the response from Taz and uh, Shivani, to be fair. Because <laughs> I don't really... I think there's there's a moment in the tone of voice when they do it, they're like, oh... Oh, is, is Excalibur maybe being a bit too sarcastic? But I think his point was actually earnest. Yeah, yeah. Well, John Moxley is sort of now, it seems to be, a Ric Flair territory. <laughs> where if you just knock your head or forehead enough times, it goes... I mean, some of the ones... Of Rick, I remember one promo that he cut. It was absolutely disgusting by the end of it, the amount of blood that was on display. Well, uh, to, be, to be fair, that was... Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. It was recently cut, but... Still, you know, that's where we are with Mick Fo- with uh, John Moxley. But 
the predominance of blood in wrestling in general, especially in AEW, is so crazy now. It feels more bloody than until the days of Dusty Rhodes and the, the mid-80s, really, where it was blood everywhere. And everyone, you know, Abdullah the Butcher with his scars that you can fit coins in. And Abdullah the Butcher obviously became a, a source of contention in the online world after this match as well. Yeah. Just because you didn't see someone doesn't mean no one else saw them. <laughs> That's what you got to remember, people. You know, we'll give it away now. The second match in this two-parter is going to be MJF against Brian Danielson in the one-hour Ironman match. And these two, those two matches seem to be mirror images of one another, in a way. If you look at it, it's like two well-established guys from the WWE. You know, big, big stars before they came into the promotion. Yeah. Facing off against two relatively homegrown AEW talents. And the story of both of those matches is that the AEW guy is entering the veterans' domain. Mm, okay. Their specialty. And having to swim in the deep end, essentially, and to see if they don't drown. Yeah. And that's the story of this match, is that Hangman Page is the equivalent of Randy Orton against Mick Foley, or Triple H against Cactus Jack, or Drew Gulak, or Matt Cardona against Nick Gage. The key difference is Hangman's got onto the diving board... And jumped into the pool, whereas MJF was pushed into the pool of Brian Danielson. Well, yeah, obviously, and there's, yeah, and we'll talk about that more with the MJF match. That I mean, I don't know how you can take a shortcut in this kind of match. Although I suppose you can argue that, another thing I will give this match credit for, it's done a great job of making the fourth match in a series seem pivotal. Yeah. Because obviously we thought we were going to get the rubber match... From this accidental rivalry that came about from an injury, a genuine injury, where Hangman was legit concussed. Well, I don't know, maybe they worked it, but if they worked it, they worked it very, very well. No, I... I doubt it. I doubt the I doubt the Hangman one was a work. But the problem is it's Boy You Cry Wolf territory now, so it's getting it harder to believe anything yeah. that shoots. Well, I doubt that Tony Khan would have like willingly pulled Hangman off TV for three months if he could help it. The story of it has been just this escalating battle, and it's almost like they're both fighting against something other than the person in front of them. Like, Mox is essentially lashing out at him losing the AEW title and being betrayed by William Regal, whereas Hangman Page is like, Obviously, there's a sense of he's on lost ground now uh, and he's lost time. And so they both kind of get their anger is at their situation and the other guy's just kind of in front of them and is the person they're going to take it out on. Well, I think there's a little more to it than that. There's obviously Hangman, obviously quite like, oh, I genuinely couldn't remember my son's name. And John Moxley going, well, that's not my, really my problem. I don't care. Like, it, it, this match is... And this feud seems to be about, like, Hangman's like, well, look, I fight, but I go to places I don't want to go. Whereas Moxie's like, not only do I enjoy going to those places, I think people who don't are, you know, not not as hard as me. Well, that's the funny thing with Hangman Page, isn't it? That And one of the things that's great about this storyline is that it's made it clear that Hangman Page isn't just going to drift off into nowhere, and it's almost like... I always wondered, is Hangman going to be like the equivalent of what Sting was in WCW and AJ Styles was in TNA? The guy that they never quite dedicate and build the promotion around them, even though they're like the true original of the promotion, the self-made star. But instead they can just kind of float up and down and 
expendable if they find a shiny new toy, you know, which you could argue was maybe the CM Punk situation or what have you. But the other thing that's been fun about the Hangman Page character, and we talked about this during his ascent to the AEW World title, which was the last five-star match he was involved in, was him winning the title off of Kenny Omega, is how he is an interesting look at masculinity in this time. Yeah. You know, the the anxious millennial cowboy. That you take this ultimate archetype of manliness, the cowboy, but one that's rooted in problematic historical imagery. I mean, especially Mm. the hangman element to it. Yeah. It wasn't guys that looked like John Moxley that were necessarily getting hung as much in the you know, well, they were, but they you know, there were other figures that have been hanged through figures of all American authority that look like Hangman Page in the history books, and it's not quite as virtuous as it once was in the myth making of the Westerns that they're calling back to. Yes. I've always said that I see Hangman Page as a modern day equivalent to Magnum TA. Like Magnum TA was this eighties vision of masculinity. Mm riding a Harley Davidson motorcycle and with a big manly mustache and, you know, muscular and he he takes baby doll and he kisses her and against her will, but she likes it. <laughs> and I've always said I want Hangman and MJF to have the modern day equivalent of the Magnum T.A. Tully Blanchard feud. And that was, again, all about two men challenging each other's masculinity. Yeah. And this match is probably as close as we've got to a match that's wrestled in the style of that Magnum TA, Tully Blanchard match, right down to it being built around someone being stabbed in the head with a sharp pr- yes. <laughs> sharp object. There is an element of that famous, what what exactly have I just done there at, mm. at the end as well? Yeah, it is that curious thing as well of like... Um, in the previous match, and I do like how they did it, that you could have paid it off as, like, that was a way to keep them both booked strong in that Hangman Page was in control in what was essentially a brawl. It was a fight. Mm. And the guy that thinks he's the brawler and the fighter had to do a quick little smart wrestling move to get out of dodge. Yeah. So he gets the win, but it's it's a win with an asterisk next to it. And Hangman Page is not satisfied. But again, it's like Hangman Page is masculinity and his pride is on the line as well Mm. and he has to challenge moxley and moxley's like if you want to go there we can go there yeah and this is very much i mean the vast majority of of the uh, offense in this match is moxley most of this match is like triple h in the 2000 royal rumble it's not that he beats moxley so much as he survives moxley yeah finds this opening and this is almost the equivalent of a bit of luck and an opening in, in how it's finished. But the vast majority of the weapons being brought out to Moxley, the vast majority of the pain being inflicted is Moxley. Even though Hangman jumps Moxley at the start, Moxley gets control fairly early on and then keeps it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Moxley is very much wrestling the heel in this. Again, deathmatch is how do you portray who's a heel. The closest is... At one point, Moxley does a low blow, which is kind of like the equivalent of cheating in this environment. Yeah. And that does elicit booze. And they are obviously at least teasing it. I would assume by the time this comes out, there might have been a fully confirmed Moxley cutting a heel promo against the fans and everything by the end of it. Okay, if I could slightly interject there. So on the following Dynamite, Blackpool Combat Club did basically do a very heelish beatdown on Dark Order. 
And and on Hangman, when Hangman came out to attempt to save them, but Hangman was walking wounded uh, following the fight that he had. Which is weird, because obviously Moxie wrestled on when, on the Wednesday after, but that man's never... Like, I, I, and I messaged you at that time. Like, that man is never getting his so-called vacation that he put off with the whole CM Punk thing. To cut a long story short, BCC pretty much nailed on as heels now. Yeah, but we need to have that final declaration of it. We need to have them cutting a promo against the fans. Mm. And Moxie hasn't done that yet. Yeah. Moxie's wrestling style hasn't really changed throughout Storm. No, but like the, the low blow is interesting because it's not the conniving low blow. It was a desperation low blow. And it comes at a stage in the match where Moxley has thrown so much stuff at him. And he's like, this guy's not going away. All, all of the people I've fought before, nearly all of them have wilted, have gone away, have cheated in the Kenny Omega case. Uh, either at winter is coming or I think there were some shenanigans in the barbed wire death match. I can't remember what they were. You know what? It's almost like a mirror image version of the Bret Hart, Steve Austin storyline, mm. but the Steve Austin, amoral brawler is turning heel essentially. Yeah. Again, Adam page has that kind of Bret Hart stoic does the right thing. This is what a man is. This is what a true man is. Mm kind of thing like he's always trying to make peace with renee he's always trying to hope that we can put a line under it which he also did attempt to do on dynamite as well well that's why i think it might be that this storyline ends with the blackpool combat club getting the win on them but page himself just moving on and and i, I don't think moxie will get the win over page in that match well they have a six-man tag next week yeah i think that'll be maybe the last time that we see page and moxley in- interact because i wouldn't be surprised if page is being set up to be the next guy to take on mjf or the guy after the next guy to take on mjf if they want mjf adam page to be the the main events of the next paper which you logically think that's probably what they'd want hmm. Again, it depends on who's there, who's coming back, you know, and, and who's mm. available, who's injured, who's whatever, you know. Who's in what title picture, and God knows there's enough of those in AEW. Exactly, yeah, there are other high-profile wrestlers who are suddenly without belts and needing a storyline to go on, maybe left to the next Dynamite. And if Jeff Jarrett wins next Wednesday, Orange Cassidy's free. <laughs> <laughs> or I was going to say, and Jeff Jarrett, you know, wants to add to the belt collection. <laughs> Oh, could you imagine? Oh, wrestling to it would implode. You know what? It could happen. I'm not saying it will happen. But there's one alternate reality out there where it does happen. Oh, I want it. (laughs) You want to be in that world? Well, we'll find out. No, I want it to be my world. My world. (laughs) Nice. So, there's a lot of slapping, but not of nuts in this match. It's funny, though. It's like, with Moxley, one of the criticisms I... I do get sometimes is it's weird that the guy who's the wild brawler and that is essentially what his character is that he's a brawler even literally covers himself in chains to mimic bruiser brody in this match yeah he sometimes throws really weak punches it's weird like the one thing that you you think a brawler needs to be able to do is like one of his one weaknesses he throws amazing clotheslines when he hits someone with a weapon he goes full bore with it <laughs> oh yeah, his lariats are, are like you say, devastating, and his ground and pounds like all right as well. And it's it, it's interesting because he does 
a lot the William Regal kicks in for like a hot minute, the muscle memory, because he gets that triangle in. It's like, yeah, William taught me this, but I've got a fork and this is my roots, so I'm going to stab you in the face whilst choking you. Well, let's get into that stabbing in the face, because that is the thing everyone's going to remember. Again, it's one of those funny things where it's like, of all the weaponry, all the plunder, the, the barbed wire boards, the barbed wire like wrapping themselves around it, the, the bricks, for yeah. God's sake. But I think the one thing people will always remember is the sight of him just not holding back digging a fork into another man's head and you seeing the blood emerge almost immediately. There's no going off into the corner and cutting yourself and the ref and someone else playing distraction on the crowd in the hopes that when you see, you're not like that smart-ass kid at the Nick Bockwinkle Kurt Hennig match nudging his mate, showing him blade. That's that's it, there! (laughs) Like, just hangman, just, he's bleeding there because... John Moxley jabbed a fork in his yeah, head. Yeah, and I think what it is, is obviously in wrestling, there's a lot of striking, so, or, like, being slammed. So being slammed through, like, a barbed wire board, uh, like, it, it, it's just, like, the next level on something. Being struck with a chair, it's just the next level on something. Barely any wrestling matches have stabbing. And stabbing something which has such more of a violent, guttural connotation in society as a whole yeah well that again i've used this comparison so many times but it's the fact that what's the thing everyone remembers from the first jackass movie it's the paper cuts Uh, because everyone's had a paper cut yeah why will people remember that fork spot and felt uneasy with that fork spot Uh, except for people maybe in some countries everyone uses a fork on an almost daily basis yeah and you know what a fork is supposed to do. I, I haven't read up Meltzer's review and I haven't listened to him talk about it, but I think this might be the first time that he's given a match five stars that he'll probably say he doesn't like. Mm. Because Meltzer, for some reason, thinks that his rating system is a genuine objective thing. So if you don't like it, Meltzer, then don't rate it highly because it's up to you and your feelings about it. Yeah, but you know the world he's, got, he's in. Yeah, well, I don't. That's the thing. Only Meltzer knows. The <laughs> <laughs> but I, I appreciate dipping into it every once in a while. Was that too much for you? I didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy watching that. I've I've said in the past, like, my issues with blood in wrestling, just that everyone can do what they want. And yes, it's a great way of getting an emotional thing. And as long as it's all down, follows the medical standards. And there are people that just say, don't be a wuss. This is what you like. Ultimately, it is self-mutilation. I've I've chatted to people at bars and seen the cuts on their forearms. And just because it's people doing it on their heads in front of a crowd doesn't mean that it's not necessarily a sign of something inside of them that's a bit alarming mm. to me. Okay. You know? okay. And of course, again, I appreciate that what was really, you know, I could say that, but then, you know, it's nothing compared to... To be fair, when we were talking about it back in the day, like the All Japan, people getting dropped on their heads suplex spots you know what what a wrestler goes through in that match from like bumps well, yeah and whatever masawa didn't die from being stabbed with a fork did he yeah that will affect them in 20 years time that those punctures in his head will you know especially because hangman page is not one to bleed all the time yeah that scar tissue will heal over time like i said john moxley's forehead by the end of all this could be uh mm. 
Maybe not Abdullah the Butcher levels, but maybe Dusty Rhodes levels by the end of it. Yeah. I remember watching the match, not live, I watched it the next day because, you know, there's only so many, like, lights, 1am starts you can do. It got the desired response from me, which was on ease, and like, ugh. Well, that's what's crazy, is like, so many of the crowd shots, it's not people celebrating, it's people horrified. Yeah. How often do you show and say, you know, unless it's like the fucking paranormal activity trailers... Saying, look how uncomfortable our art has made our own audience. <laughs> our paying customers are horrified at what we're doing to them. Yeah, but then again, they'd be happy with that because that's their objective, you know? Put it this way. How you said, like, trying to watch an old WWE event from, like, the mid-2000s with your girlfriend and her seeing, like, scenes taking place in a, a shower, like a diva's initiation ritual. Oh, God, yes, I remember, yeah. Yeah, like this is another thing that I can imagine someone who brings their partner to a wrestling show on the other end of the spectrum, where it's just like, it's not that you're embarrassed to be a wrestling fan necessarily from that, but it's you know, you understand that you may get questioned for it. Yeah, you you realize in that moment this is going to be hard to defend. Mm. I think they're in AEW is in that space of like they. Seem to cater to what wrestling fan wrestling fans want. They don't. They aren't chasing that mainstream audience kind of thing. It's it. So I don't know. Everyone there seemed ha- not happy with it. Everyone there seemed to en- just enjoy the entertainment that it bought. I guess the the other problem I have as well with all the blood is that it is all the blood and the the repetition of it. I mean, you know, a couple of matches before this, you had Christian Cage and Jungle Boy smashing each other with chairs and to, i don't i think christian cage bled a little but it was accidental yeah but it was another wild brawl based on an emotive storyline that's gone over like six months or longer that got ham- hamstrung by injury to be fair i think they... yeah yeah obviously but my point is that it was a violent end to a storyline yeah they got double parked <laughs> this was a violent end to a storyline with blood and then in the main event we got the end to a storyline with blood again towards the end. Yeah. If you keep repeating yourself, then it just dilutes it. And that's my big problem. That, like, this one had... They, they did enough to make this one stand out. Mm. But this isn't the first death match they've done. Remember we had Chris Jericho throwing Nick Gage through plate glass yeah. on an episode of Dynamite? We have fucking Th- Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker yeah. bleeding all over the place. We had one on, like, an episode of Rampage, didn't we, that caused a whole big... St- well, we've had two with Ty Conte and um, Anna Jay. Yeah. Had, we had fucking QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes against Butcher and the Blade. Bunkhouse Brawl! Oh, yeah. My point is just, like, that's the thing. You, like, you think of what they put themselves through, and you're just remembering that now because I bring it up. Yeah. It's like, if you keep going to the well, and it's like, and the fans chant, we want tables, because it's like, Really? Really? All this crazy shit and you want a table spot? I don't like the We Want Tables champ. Mainly because I don't like tables matches, as I've made abundantly clear on several occasions. And this this match actually was a prime example of that. Is I think the crowd are conditioned to yeah. chant what they think they should chant in certain spots. Well, I think that's why the fork thing stands out, because that was the thing that like the vast majority of people had no reference point to. Yeah. Not in the, I mean, I know they've done fork spots before. I think they involved the fork in the John Moxley, Eddie Kingston mm. at some point. And that I quit match is probably the closest equivalent to that of like, 
Moxley thinking he's he, like like how he threw everything at Eddie Kingston. He finally found it with the wrapping his arm in the barbed wire and and choking him out with it. Yeah, in the I quit stipulation. Oh yeah, and it's funny that they didn't go with an I quit stipulation, which they could have done given how this finished. Again, though, it's like you're just remembering it. You know? No, no, no. I'm remember. I'm just the parallels dawned on me. Obviously, that Moxley had that situation, but now Moxley's the Kingston. In a sense, maybe. Well, yeah, Moxley has always come out basically on top of these sort of matches when it's a one-on-one environment. Yeah. He beat Kenny Omega in, like, the first big high-profile match they had in 2019 where there was, like, barbed wire spider webs, wasn't yes. there? And there was glass and all that in that as well. Then he lost to Omega in the time bomb match, but that was down to the Good Brothers yeah. getting involved yeah. and everything. And then we had... You know the thing that everyone remembers from that match. Um, just just to pause there because I did have that as a note that we are at the all, pretty much the dead on the two year anniversary of that was around when this pay per view took place. Do you reckon this is his from an artistic point of view? This is his like redemption. I think the redemption would be to have an exploding barbed wire death match that matches what Tsushi Onita did. Mm. And I don't know if they'll ever have the guts to do that again for fear of what happened the last time. I think they got away with it because there wasn't an audience. And they're doing all the Anita spots at the start again with all of the teases of like him stopping himself from hitting the barbed wire and then getting the charging Adam Page. You know, yeah. I mean, like... Within the deathmatch world, you understand that these guys see themselves as artists building two crescendos. Like, even mm. the most basic, low-level ones that are doing, you know, knock-off GCW shows. They see deathmatch as an art form. Yeah. And there are people within the wrestling world for whom it is a thing that they like to talk about. And they will big up deathmatch wrestlers as much as other people will big up technical wrestlers. And that's fine. It's never going to be so... Like, maybe we should, for one... I mean, we've already done the Moxley, Drake, Younger, Nick Gage match, but that was almost like a semi-comical match. Mm. Maybe we should watch some, like, King of the Death match final or something. I've seen the electrified swimming pool death match where I think Anita takes a sickle to the stomach. Yeah, but again, is that kind of a novelty thing, the swimming pool thing? I mean, stuff like CZW's Cage of Death or something along those lines. Anita still gets stabbed in the gut in that match. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, is all... swimming pool novelty or not? Yeah. So I, I appreciate that it's a genre, just like that. how there are, you know, uh, extreme horror films. Mm. But I'm not Gabe from The Office, and that's not my bag. Yeah. <laughs> I don't dispute that there are horror films I like. I, I, I'm never going to watch that film that was like two and a half hours of a clown just stabbing a, a few women that like got a big... Was it Terrifier 2? That thing that got a big... There's a big deal made out of that. I might watch Itchy the Killer because it's Takeshi Miike and he's just a fascinating filmmaker. Yeah. It's not something I, you know, I go out of my way to do. I, like, watched all of the Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and Halloween films in, like, a sort of a two-month run a few years ago. And in hindsight, I realised, wow, if I'd have seen these as a kid, I don't think I would have been scared that much. Well, maybe I would have been, but, like... Yeah, it's hard. It doesn't really hold up that much. It's just most of them are boring. Especially the Friday the 13th. Fucking hell. <sighs> anyway, I, like I said, just the fascinating thing is how mainstream it is. That a match like this, you would expect to see in front of a couple of hundred people in what used to be called the ECW arena. Yeah. You don't expect it to be a Meltzer rated five-star match on 
the essentially modern day equivalent of WCW. And again, it's not like we didn't come from a lineage that had that. We had Terry Funk, we had Dusty Rhodes, we had Magnum TA against Tully Blanchard. And they did sometimes do stuff involving barbed wire, but this is... We had war games matches, which had plenty of blood in. Yes, there's always been blood. But it's the forks, it's the bricks, it's the barbed wire boards. Mm. It's the making a point of showing, yeah, John Moxley and Paige are genuinely digging their fingernails into each other's backs. Yeah. You can see, like, the whole point of this match is to go, huh, and you thought wrestling was fake. But then you get moments where they are pulling their punches, ultimately. Yeah. Like I said, in the opening strike exchanges, it's like, it's crazy what they're about to do to each other, and yet they hold their punches to a point that you can tell that it's not really making much of an impact. It's that weird dichotomy that John Moxley does all this crazy stuff, but his punch is like open palm slaps to the stomach sometimes. Mm, mm. <laughs> I don't... That's just the Japanese it. fan in him, I think. I don't think it is. I just don't think he necessarily... I don't know. I don't know why it is. I don't know why it is. That's how he throws punches. You know? Because it's like some of the great technicians of all time threw better punches than him. Mm. You know, guys not known for that sort of stuff. Bret Hart. Jerry Lawler. I mean, Jerry Lawler's not a te- technician, but you know what I mean. Jerry Lawler knew how to throw a punch, though. Gotcha. And he'd get the crowd going ape shit over him pulling his strap down, not through jabbing a fork in some of that. And to be fair, he threw fireballs. He had concession stand brawls, didn't he? Empty arena matches. Yes, but again, there's a there's a certain novelty to it. Look, look, there's a lineage, obviously, of this. And this is... I'm amazed that this match happened. And it did affect me because of how far they took themselves. And I, like I said, I like the story. The idea of this man having to swim in the deep end to get something over, to get some sense of finality against another guy who kind of dismisses him mm. somewhat. That other person, you seeing them in the, like their element. This is John Moxley in his elements. This is what he loves more than anything. And he literally has to get hung. And like we said, like he's been involved in these matches where he's been on the losing end, like this, or Anarchy in the Arena, but it's never been because he's been out for. Yeah. And in this match, Adam Page absorbed everything he took, and they did the Texas Deathmatch rules up to a point. They went with it being submission or KO only. Yeah. Again, kind of like the WrestleMania 13 match. Instead of it being that someone gets pinned and then they start the camp. Because that was always... Which we've seen. You know, we had just recently with the Shingo Takagi and Taichi. Yeah. But, um, very different. <laughs> but neither Taichi nor Takagi is going to be walking around with, those, with the scars of that match necessarily. No. Like uh, these guys are. And I would say, though, I would probably rate them about equal. I'd probably go about four and a quarter stars on this match mm. because it just, I can't deny what they put themselves through and it, and it gained a reaction from me. You know, it's like I don't enjoy being scared, but there are some horror films that I see, like Hereditary or something like that, where I can't deny what they did. And as long as they didn't do, like, the shortcuts of jump scares, which Hereditary didn't do. And this match didn't do shortcuts. They went all out. <laughs> no pun intended. And and did everything to them and made you see them. And so, and like I said, they told that good story of Hangman Page withstanding it. It was funny how how late into it that we were really getting the counts. I mean, you get last man standing matches and it's all built around the counts. And for the first half to two thirds of this match, it barely is. And they're not even teasing it with long nine counts all the time. Like Hangman Page is coming up at like six for some of these things, you know. <laughs> You're like, six? Yeah. Uh, it's that fight. There is a moment where there's like a 15 second bit where Hangman turns into Toshiaki Kawada. 
because he hit he, he like fires up hits a back suplex and immediately hits a lariat i'm like he's basically like channeled all japan for 20 seconds yeah but also i remember him doing that during the kenny omega match the omega i think hit him with some kawada kicks and he just stood up as like, is that all you got motherfucker like page does fired up babyface as well as anyone does right now yeah really some of the some of the things where it's just like look at the novelty creative ways like oh we're doing a half crab but it's in barbed wire or hangman's moonsaulting him but he's covered himself now in the half crab in barbed wire got a very good response from the crowd to be fair it did but i always thought it was dumb as shit because he's gonna have the barbed wire pressed to him before during and after that move mm. and all moxley's gonna get is have it for a little while and obviously sometimes you put more you know it's high risk but and it's in the heat of battle but it's not like some i didn't find that some clever reinvention yeah I, you know, but it's also about self-sacrifice and what you're willing to put yourself through, and what Hangman Page is willing to put himself through to prove himself, both to himself and to Moxley. I think mentally and physically tough. Yeah, again, it's maybe why it should have been an I Quit match because just John Moxley tapping on his own shoulder was a very odd visual to end it on. Mm. To be fair, when when Eddie Kingston lost the I Quit match, it wasn't like the microphone was jammed in his face. You just heard him just quietly sort of mutter i quit like if they could have just had moxley go i get i give i give and you can hear it on the camera it's one i do think it's one that people are going to remember yeah you know but then is it going to be is this going to be like the ladder match where just every three to six months in a few years time there's just gonna is, is basically every pay-per-view gonna have some sort of death match in it and like because we've had wild brawls obviously already but never at this level except for the omega moxley matches at the start i suppose Maybe it's the fork spot. Maybe that's it. You know, it's like how the thumbtack spot was King of the Ring. Then it was 2000 Royal Rumble. Then it was Backlash. And then it was just every Abyss pay-per-view match. <laughs> and, like, everyone does it. And then it gets subverted with Lego spots and yeah. gummy bears spots and everything. Are we now about to see forks get implemented in every... Are we going to start hearing, we want cutlery? <laughs> chance. I mean, we want plates on Twitter's a good account. I'm, I'm just saying. Overall, if I had to give the match a rating, I'm going to go 4.5. Okay. I think some of the spots were a little bit contrived, like... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of contrivance. I agree with you there. The barbed wire, Ariara moonsault, that, that, that just seems pointless. Well, I also thought that Hangman's bump that he took into the barbed wire board was quite well... quite quickly telegraphed and it was just one of those things where it didn't even feel like Paige was necessarily reacting to what Mox was doing. He was just putting himself in the place to fall into that, you know. Or like um the do you think it was intentional or not that the power bomb spot Moxley bumped on the seat of the chair and not the the point of the two chairs, which was what they'd been teasing. Like if that had happened I mean I'm glad it didn't. Most of the wrestlers I'd have gone, yes it's intentional. With John Jury's out. Uh, look, I think the ending was good. It was almost like a semi-fluke as well. Because it was Moxie that put himself in that chain and like mm. Paige sent him over the ropes and then it was like, oh my God, I've got an opening. And then the hangman literally hangs his opponent. And also, if you notice it, like Mox has a certain amount under his arm and that would have made that the tautness that he's supposed to be in wouldn't make sense. So he kind of had to, they had to fumble out of it at that point. But they, you know, they got it to work in the yeah. end. Yeah, it, it's a good story point, but... Yeah, four and a half. Just, just violent fun. The fork thing. I don't, I'm not going to say it's too far, but I, I am going to say I do. 
agree with you that the we want cutlery chance they that they could be not too far off and i think that's when the dilution hits i think we're at the tipping point i think every death every event in little indie shows will have homages or versions of spots in this match going forward especially the fork forks might get pops now just from crowds in general that Someone bringing a table out from under the ring or a ladder out has done for the past 25 years. A table, but it's already been lame. Yeah, with cutlery and all that. <laughs> He's hitting with a butter knife! <laughs> oh God, it's a steak knife! <laughs> we want soup spoons. <laughs> it's a ladle, it's a soup spoon. No soup spoon for you! And then you get Seinfeld references, and then you truly jump the shark. Someone throws a load of thumbtacks, but they put up a sieve to block them. Oh. <laughs> no, I don't know what I, I don't know what what's worse, the fact that I actually part of me thinks that's genius, or the fact that GCW will do it in six months. <laughs> if you know if that happens, you know where you heard it first. But Simon, if people want to get in touch with you with more creative spots to do in death matches. How can they do so? Uh, people can get in touch with me on Twitter where I am so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of 90 degree hot washes that canvas would need to get those blood stains out. My name is Lorcan Munnan. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A in achy, N for the N in neck. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtwisepod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. Now, that was a five-star match from Meltzer that we gave four and a quarter, four and a half. Now, by the conversion rate, that suggests we might have a proper five-star on our hands for this one. Because this match coming up got not a five-star rating from Meltzer, but a five and three-quarter star rating. (laughs) With ongoing commentary during the match as to what rating it was going to (laughs) get. And it is a high-profile figure in pro wrestling for the past few years, and especially for AEW, but a five-star debutante against a man who really shouldn't have been a five-star debutante until about a year or so ago, but he was. But I think this is now his third match we've got after such a long, long wait. Simon, what are we talking about for the next episode? Uh, we are talking about the 60-minute Iron Man match between MJF and Brian Danielson for the AEW World Championship. The first ever Iron Man match to get five stars from Meltzer. There's something to stew on. But until then, there's nothing to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. The world is freaking turning to poo. The earth don't stand a chance Hurricane Typhoon will destroy the city We've got to clean up the skies and recycle we got to stop the overpopulation but most important of all, we got to build a Death Star. Death Star, it's a rocket ship. It's the son of a witch, y'all, and we're building it. It's gonna take us up into the sky. We don't need the earth. We're gonna freaking fly sky. Death Star, it's the son of a witch, y'all. Gonna take us into outer space. Get the ship.
get together, mother trucker. We're gonna start a new, you better 